Hey everyone, welcome back to another season of Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. On this show, we dive deep into how you can use data to measure, manage, and optimize your health with the latest science and technology. This show is brought to you by Heads Up, which is our web and mobile app designed for individuals and healthcare professionals who need a precise way to measure and manage health data. Check us out at headsuphealth.com. If you've got comments, questions, or feedback on this show, shoot us an email, support at headsuphealth.com. We'd love to hear from you. And with that said, let's get into our next exciting episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. My name is Dave Korsunsky. And today, my guest is Dr. Sheila Dean from the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy, our newest partnership here at Heads Up. And we're really excited to dive into the educational and certification content that they're preparing. I think this is going to be relevant for our listeners who are very proactive around their health and possibly considering moving deeper into a career aspect around providing nutritional therapy and health optimization. Also for our our practitioners who are listening and for our clinics who are listening, Sheila, who are possibly looking at bringing in new expertise into the practice. So uh, I know that our two companies have just gotten our partnership off the ground, but uh, I'd like to just first welcome you to the show and give us an overview on your background. Uh, I would love to learn about your work leading up to your role at the IFN Academy. And once we establish that, then I'd, I'd love to dive into the work you're doing at the Academy and the types of education that you're putting out there. So we'll, we'll dive into that part later. But tell us about Sheila and your career background and, and how you got to this point. Oh, well, thanks, Dave. Thanks. It's really awesome to be here. And I've been looking forward to this. So thank you again for inviting me. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So my background is that I'm a dietitian of about 30 years now. So I started off as a as a dietitian and, you know, continued to work in the field. And at one point, about around the year 2000, I started to feel a little sort of disillusioned with the field. You know, go to school. Uh, received quite a bit of training, uh, undergraduate, internships, board exams, and you're sort of left with simple meal plans and counting calories. And you're like, okay, did I go to school, um, you know, all this training and for just a simple calorie count and, you know, talking about protein grams. And it just felt like something was missing. And right around the same time, I was introduced to the world of functional medicine. And I felt like as soon as I heard it, it was self-evident. It was truth. But because we're trained to be critical thinkers, right? I was that one that went back and looked at all those references on the slides and looked them up and started to put together a picture that felt like, okay, there's really something here to this, this all of this functional nutrition, integrative nutrition, medical nutrition, nutritional medicine, or I should say. And you know, because you're kind of taught, even in the field of dietetics, that some of that may not be, you know, evidence-based and you're sort of warned and you kind of get this feeling like, you know, um, you need to be careful because like, if you even ask the questions, it might be perceived as, um, you know, a little bit non-scientific. 
But which is why I was so thrilled to listen to these experts present such amazing research. You know, the claims weren't just about, you know, their empirical observations. These guys were posting research. And so I went back and did my due diligence and I was really excited. And so I started to, you know, little by little receive my own training. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of cohesive training. Kind of had to do your own training, kind of piecemeal it all together. And I started to incorporate some of the things that I learned into private practice. <laughs> and it was like taking a little plant and repotting it into a big a pot. It just boomed, you know, and suddenly cases were coming to me left and right, where at one point, I don't know that I would have been comfortable handing some, handling some of these cases. And now they were becoming like my regular type of clinical cases, people with multiple autoimmune conditions, hormonal conditions, gut conditions. You know, it wasn't just about the diabetic anymore, which, you know, was something that I was working with, but it just really expanded the scope in which I was working and um, learning about professional nutraceuticals and labs. And yeah, we've really come a long way since then, but that's essentially how I kind of got into all this. So I started off in the field, but didn't know about functional nutrition until the year 2000. So fast forward, Dave, my dear friend and colleague, Kathy Swift and I, you know, talked a lot about how we were constantly being called on, messaged, texted about inquiring as to whether people can come into our practices and, and receive mentoring and training. And can I come shadow you? Will you teach me? And it was a joke. Like if I had a dime, you know, for every person that contacted me and then this little joke that we had started to turn into a, you know, a little aha moment, like, you know, maybe we ought to, you know, put together a training program. So we seeded this idea quite a while ago, about a decade ago, and the rest is history. <laughs> IFM Academy was then born, was then launched in 2015. And our mission is really to create the advanced practice credential. It's like a fellowship, basically, Dave. It's a fellowship for people who are already essentially have their basic training, right? Especially dietitians, nutrition professionals, and really want the evidence. They want the evidence. They want a credential. They want peer review, and they want it to be accredited. And, and so we, you know, check, 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 and here we are, you know, thousands of students later. That's awesome. I mean, really just kind of starting to put this together in the early days in your own way without a lot of template out there, but you were starting to connect the threads on your own, just seeing where this needed to go. And then it sounds like you, you really just kind of hit on a nerve where it sounds like there was probably a lot of people thinking that there was a need out there, but you were maybe the first one to really start putting the, the message out onto the airwaves around how to use functional nutrition to work with a lot of these complex cases where nutrition is an absolutely massive component of it. And then also getting into the more specialized lab testing and really starting to formalize this notion of food as medicine and then bringing it into something structured and formal. And you, you know, like any business, when you start seeing these beacons going off, it was the same for us where people kept coming and asking this kind of thing and and then you guys structured it into a, a formal academic program 
So it just sounds like a journey, uh, like like an entrepreneurial journey, where you were able to just uh, bring this to life through your own creation, and now it's off and running. Yeah, you know, I'll just I'll just mention real quick that one of the dynamics that Kathy and I felt pretty heavily was that. You know, dietitians were always sort of a little ignored, you know, dietitian. And, and the funny thing is, as you said, you know, nutrition is the foundation. It's the cornerstone of this approach, right? This, this approach that focuses on, on identifying root cause. And so, you know, you had everybody talking about this, but there was really nothing out there for dietitians. And so we, uh, yeah. being dietitians, wanted to create a program for dietitians. And so there are, you know... There are programs for medical doctors, and our program is open to medical doctors, but there really wasn't anything for the dietitian. And every time we saw a conference, right, or a webinar or a seminar, whether it was online or on-site, you know, everyone was invited except the dietitian. And we, we just thought that it was kind of bizarre. So, you know, we were like, okay, you know what? We're going to reclaim this. And that's kind of part of what how, I love it. how this all came about. Yeah. Well, we can wax philosophical about the fundamental problem in the system when when nutrition is completely ignored as the core foundational aspect of what I believe all health should be built upon is a solid nutritional framework. And that's a whole another conversation. And I'll probably ask you some questions on that later. But what I'd like to do now is, is if you could take us through the program. And uh, what I'm really interested in, Sheila, is the modules of the program that someone's educated on. If I'm coming in as a dietitian or a nutritionist, or I'm coming in as a lay person who wants to now find a way to make this my livelihood, what am I going to learn in the program? Specifically, wow. like the, I know that there's very specialized functional testing. Are you covering that? Are you covering interpretation of basic labs? How are you approaching yeah. the aspect of the nutritional education? So help us understand the curriculum for those who are interested. Well, that's a great question. I'm really glad you asked that because it's important that people understand that this is an advanced practice credential. So this is not really for a person who is a layperson who wants to come in and learn how to be a nutritionist, right? I mean, we are, um, people are welcome to register for their own personal edification, but it's really like I, I called it, like uh, I likened it to a fellowship in that it is a specialized area, right? You're niching out. You know, so I want to make sure that that's really clear. It's kind of like, I mean, think about, you know, a doctor, a doctor, she gets her baseline education and now she wants to specialize, yeah. right? She wants to be, say, a cardiologist or she wants to be an yeah. endocrinologist, right? So now she needs to go through a certain amount of training to specialize. That's what IFNA is. That's what the Integrative and Functional Nutrition Academy does. We are teaching you a specialized area, assuming there is a low level baseline understanding, right? So you don't have to be the top expert, but we do, you know, this really is an advanced practice credential. So having said that, now, and then going back to your question, there are 33 modules. So it's, it's not a weekend course, right? It does take about a year to get through. And we do allow up to two because we know things happen and sometimes you need some time, right? So it takes a, a while to get through the program and the uh, program is divided into modules and then, and there are 33 of them. Right. So then what we did was we took these 33 modules and we divided them into tracks, you know, like levels. Right. So yep. 
It really helps so that um, you don't have to feel overwhelmed with registering for 33 modules all at once. You know, you can just kind of dip your toes in and start with track one. And, and worst case scenario, I tell people, look, if you take track one and you don't absolutely love it, if you're a dietitian, you've just earned the, uh, you know, 43 CEUs and dietitians need 75 for five years. So you know, you've earned a ton of CEUs, continuing education units. It's also, we also offer CEUs for other healthcare professionals, which is that, and that information is available on the website. So, you know, we start off with the foundations of a couple of foundational modules. And in the modules, there are nine components and it's all downloadable. There's tools, there's handouts. And a lot of these handouts are brandable, which means you can knock off the IFNA or the IFNA logo, right? And pop in your personal practice logo and use these forms, questionnaires, handouts, patient tools. And so you, we, you go through these, all of these modules and we're covering everything from food as medicine, conventional labs, functional blood chemistry interpretation, dietary supplements, the science, the art, practice, the principles. And that's just track one. I feel like track one really is a standalone, but it is just mm-hmm. track one. By the time you matriculate through 33 modules, you're a ninja. <laughs> you're, hmm. and you're, you really are. And, and what's amazing is that now with organizations like your own, with companies like yours and what you're what you guys provide, the synergy, Dave, it's insane because you know we can't be everything to any everyone. But what we love is are the partners and networks that are out there that help make this you know, this information so accessible. And then the tools that you guys offer that can piggyback off of what we're teaching, it's perfect. So anyway, so you matriculate through track one, then you go through track two. Track two gets into all the different areas, the systems areas, and so on and so forth. Track three is really sort of application. Uh, We've got an entire module dedicated to building your own private practice. We've got, I mean, there's a lot, you know, an entire track dedicated to therapeutic elimination diets. And then the final track, track five, which we call the CSI track or case study immersion is really just dedicated to case studies. So even though case studies are spread yep. throughout all the modules, the last track is just dedicated to case studies so that when you're done, you're really, you know, you really feel very solid. And it's like a language. You have to practice, right? You have to practice. You got to get in there and you've got to practice. And we try to create as many opportunities for all of that as possible, especially for our graduates. I can't tell you how many organizations send us uh, job postings for nutrition professionals who are also IFNCP certified. So it's really, it's, it's been an amazing, an amazing ride, really, and truly a labor of love. Yeah. Thank you, Hugh. So if I'm a practice right now and I'm looking to implement this type of expertise into my offerings, what types of practices are you think are best suited to layer this type of expertise in? Is it, is it primarily practices in the integrative space that are adopting this type of program, or are you also working in in more of the um, conventional medicine practices? I don't have enough experience with conventional doctors to know that there's incentive reimbursement models for doing it this way. I know for us, for remote patient monitoring, that's just starting. 18 months ago, there was no financial incentives for the dog. They just weren't paid to treat this way at all. So so who, who's the ideal practice in your right. point of view, if you could touch on that? And then it also sounds like a lot of your students go off 
and have their own business as well. So um, maybe you could speak to both of those. The ideal practice where one of your students would land, what does that look like? Let's start there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, ideally, uh, the ideal scenario is an integrative-based practice, but we've had stories. We've had a lot of students share with us that they were able to incorporate some of this in their own conventional practices. But primarily, I mean, what we're teaching is integrative medicine, right? Integrative nutritional medicine. And so naturally, I'd say the absolute ideal scenario would be if someone wanted to start their own private practice, because then they have all the tools. They've got the tools, they've got the diets, they've got the labs, you know, they've got the electronic medical records that are actually integrative geared, you know, so there's that would be the ideal scenario. Now, I will say we are VA vendors, which means that we have a contract with the government. The government pays for the program. So all our VA dietitians go get this program paid for. And Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up the tape there. Back up the tape. That's a big thing there. Can you unpack that a little bit? What, yeah. What's happening with the VA? Yeah. Well, a couple of years ago, a dietitian asked us if we, we were VA vendors and we were not. And so she asked us if we'd consider doing so. So we were like, yeah. So we did some research and went through the process of becoming VA vendors. We were approved and basically VA dietitians, not a spouse, but the VA dietitian, she basically, or he, basically goes through the program and the program is subsidized. The program is paid for by the government. Mm-hmm. VA. So yeah. And that's been in place for several years now. So, so in the I VA, are the nutritional services available to VA members to have access to this type of uh, health expertise? I, I think that is each scenario is going to be unique. I can't say that it's exactly the same across the board, but it's a great starting point, right? It's a great starting point, and it's probably going to take some time to really continue to, to be adopted where all the dietitians are able to implement this. But right now, this is a great, you know, great starting point. And it's just, I think, an indication that this is an area that's not just a trend. You know, asking questions about root cause analysis is the foundation of trying to understand how to restore health and function. And I don't know any other, I don't know how else you can get around that, right? So this is a program that is, you know, this information is gaining more and more traction. You know, I will say that we are very careful, very careful, very diligent about every bloody slide that we have in our program. Every single slide is carefully referenced because we have accreditation status and, you know, we have to be careful about everything from Google images to anything that we say that's not substantiated. So I feel like that's actually raised the bar for us because it challenged us to not just throw out anything, you know, just based on somebody's expert opinion, which, you know, there's value obviously in the end of one, but, you know, we're really careful about making sure that the information is based in the research. And when there's information that's based on end of one, we're clear to indicate that so that students can make their own decisions about, you know, their own, what they want to implement. And if that makes sense. It does. You know, this is such a massively important topic. If we look at the standard American diet and we look at what many people would consider food and we look at the, what I would call, complete lack of education for children growing up around what they're putting into their bodies, what the effects are, 
of primarily processed sugar and refined carbohydrates is, I think, epidemic in terms of what that does to the microbiome, what that does to a person's metabolic health, what that does to their ability to focus. How do we start to unwind all of that? And how do we... um, yeah. How do we start to make meaningful change? Because I think we have an unsustainable system here where it's a self-perpetuating unsustainable system where everything we put in our body makes us sick and then we have a system to take care of us when we're sick. And it's just a, a continuous uh, infinite loop to nowhere. And so if you step back and think about things that we can do at a macro level in terms of policy change or you know, this is one of my crazy ideas, Sheila. Don't, but like when you read a label, a food label, having some way to indicate what this does to someone's blood sugar, even if it's normalized across, like some way to standardize it, for example, because it's death by a thousand cuts. And all of the people on our system are at the point where they've been eating what they thought was normally for their whole life, and now they're screwed. And nobody told them anything. <laughs> so, like, how do how do we start to get in earlier, yeah. basically, and, yeah. and and address the issues at the systemic level around food? Loaded question. Sorry. No, it's okay. Yeah, I get it. It is. It's it's a big topic, right? Okay. So here's what comes up for me as you ask this. I can go into private practice and do my best to educate as many people as I can reach. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But. I can, Kathy and I, part of what we wanted to do was get this training out there to the masses, thousands, so that it's not just about Sheila, Dean, in private practice, but it's about empowering and educating basically as many nutrition, healthcare professionals as possible to get out there and to do this so that it's not all inside here, but it's out there. And having these healthcare practitioners, these IFNA certified people get out there and do the work. And it's going to end up being from bottom up. I don't think it's going to be top down for a long time if that ever happens. So educating the practitioners, you've got it is, is where I think part of this starts. I mean, that's the highest leverage is, right? is educating the practitioners. Right. And then in our field, dietitians happen to be a primarily female driven area. And these women are also mothers. So as mothers, they are the first educators of their families, right? And But they're also out there teaching patients. And so not that this isn't for everybody, but you know that's just who our demographic is, right? So I think to answer your question, it's it's not easy, but you have to start somewhere, right? So the, what is it saying? The journey of a million miles starts with the first step. So we start with getting as many tr- people trained as possible, making sure the program is based in solid evidence so that you as a practitioner can feel good about going out there and talk about these things with your colleagues, right? And your patients, because sometimes, you know, it can be a little bit intimidating to kind of discuss some of these things with your colleagues who are not necessarily appreciating or understand this approach. So it's really important that the information make you feel empowered to get out there and do what you have to do to get the information out there to the masses. So that's, you know, as one person trying to make a difference, that's been my mission. That's been our mission. I love it. Yep. And our mission is to then give your um, certified professionals the remote ability to measure 
accurately that it's working by having someone with a continuous glucose monitor or having someone who's able to just take some simple photos of what they're eating and share that. So that's kind of where we come in on all of this. I'd like to shift gears, Sheila, and just talk a little bit about food as medicine and talk about some of the conditions that don't respond well to conventional medicine, particularly conditions that are related to (laughs) autoimmune or conditions that are related to blood sugar dysregulation, where, um, you know, in conventional medicine with like even Crohn's and irritable bowel syndrome, where you might be putting people on immunosuppressants as the standard of care and how food actually can come into the picture here. So maybe you could just say, if, if you could step back and say, here's really three of the main categories of conditions where nutrition can be absolutely life changing. And it's currently outside the purview of standard of care. Which ones are bubbling up right now as really kind of like, if we look at the crisis of our of what we're eating, you know, what what are the really the, the top three that are kind of like bubbling to the surface that are like nutritional, hundred percent in yeah. nature, and also completely reversible to nutritional therapy. I think that's probably helpful for people listening to see like where is this applicable and, and how just how impactful can this be? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow, that is I'm so glad you asked that. That well, you actually said it, and it's the very the first thing that popped into my head, and that is autoimmunity. And I want to take a moment to just talk about that. Where the conventional and integrative community agree is that autoimmunity is a condition where the immune system is hypervigilant and maybe attacking yep. its own tissue. Okay, we all get that. Everybody's on the same page yep. about that. Yep. Where, we agree on that. We agree on that. Where things start to diverge is the way in which you handle that, right? So sure. it's not incorrect to say that an immunosuppressant can quiet down the immune system. I mean, that's not incorrect. It's just that it's not necessary from an integrated perspective. It, it is only first-line therapy if a patient's having a flare. So you talked about Crohn's. If your patient is bleeding through her rectum, give her the immunosuppressant, okay? We'll talk about diet, but first get the flare under control. So there is a place for the medication. But once you have the patient stabilized, there has to be a conversation, whether it's with the physician or if the physician can just outsource it and say, look, Mr. Smith, I don't have time to discuss this with you, but I'm going to send you here to this fill in the blank, this integrative medicine professional or someone, this nutrition professional, that's going to talk to you about what you can do to manage this through food and nutrition. Now, I get, like you said, that this is not necessarily a reimbursable scenario all the time, but you know, there are a lot of smart people out there that are making this model work. And avoid, so putting that aside for a moment, so autoimmunity does need to be controlled if a patient's having a flare. So I want to kind of, I want to make sure I mention that because as a practitioner who has dealt uh, with my very close family members with autoimmunity and I mean, thousands and thousands. Mine too, for the record. Yeah, I, I know how that works. And so I'm not so naive in thinking that there isn't a place. However, once you get the patient stabilized, that's when we need to sit there and talk about, okay, what is happening? Why is this happening? Why is 
this food causing this immune response? And that's where conversations about leaky gut come in. That's where we basically have discussions about, okay, here's what's coming in that needs to stop. And here is what we need to put in to stop the, to, to at least hasten the inflammatory response. So it's a matter of talking about what needs to come in and what needs to go out, right? And so it's, I mean, it can be in a sense that simple, uh, but then of course that can be in and of itself a little complicated because to know what could be causing the problem may require quite a few labs, right? So now I might have to start digging a little bit. I can't just sort of look at you and go, hey, you know, I think soy is your issue. You know, that's where the art, which we train our healthcare professionals about this, the art of learning how to work out a plan so you know where to start uh, is really important, right? Because there's all kinds yep. of things. Could it be toxins? Could it be heavy metals? Could it be genetic toxins, environmental? You know, exactly. That yeah. we, we have stress. an acronym for that, right? So we use the STAIN acronym, S-T-A-I-N, stress, T for toxins, A for adverse food reactions, I for infection, and an N for nutritional deficiencies. All right, so- I love it. Yeah, you like that? So part of it is about learning how to go through this this critical thinking process, so you know where to start, you know, because it's inherently, uh, you know, complex to manage. So I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but I, I will say that autoimmunity is definitely at the top of the list. And of course, we know autoimmune conditions, I mean, is everything Crohn's to colitis? Well, you know, that's debatable. Crohn's colitis. Oh, right? yeah, lupus, MS. I would say one of the exceptions to this where, you know, it might be type 1 diabetes, where, you know, we're, we're not, we're going to have to use insulin, right? Right? I mean, a patient, so, you, sure. you know, but, but, and that's where you obviously have to personalize and we have to, you know, we have to think about this. And I, the only thing is I, I would say I do, I would caution practitioners who are just kind of getting started to not get too overzealous with the supplements and not sort of try to replace a, a you know, a drug for a, a, what I call the green pill, which is a supplement and that, you know, try to really, we try to teach that we need to sort of focus on the diet as, you know, the baseline and then use supplements as responsibly and judiciously as possible. So we teach a lot about supplements, but there was a time I think where people forgot about food and didn't really talk about that. And it was all about, you know, taking 20 different supplements. And I mean, if you need 20 supplements, that's one thing. But my point is that, you know, when people come to you as a, as a practitioner, you know, what their number one question is, what do I eat? Yep. What do I eat? Right. So yeah, it's hard. You've got to complete. I remember when I started changing my diet, I went to the supermarket and I kind of just got paralysis by analysis. <laughs> I didn't know what to go out to go down. I, it would, I'd look at one thing and it would take me like 10 minutes to compute. Like, obviously it gets easier like anything in life, but yeah, it's really hard even just to make the simple changes at the grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. On the diagnostic side, you know, can you speak to some of the, the top two or three panels that you're uh, seeing used most frequently in, in the wild out there? In, you know, you use your STAIN acronym which I love. Cool. But, but when you're starting down the detective path, that's what it is. You know, I used to troubleshoot massive computer systems. Uh-huh. Why is it running slow? Like, where do you even start? Not much different. You know, you're, right. you're trying to figure out what's right. going on in, in the environment or within the human body or within the psyche exactly. or within the psycho-spiritual. These are all worlds you have to delve into now. But in terms of like the top one or two panels that an IFN 
practitioner would start with on the diagnostic process? Where would you go with that? I'm going to try to give an answer to that, but you may not like my answer, but let me... (laughs) I mean, okay, there really are two answers to that. Hear me out on this. So... Go. If you take a personalized approach, there is no one or two top one or two panels because you're thinking critically, you're using your stain model, and you're thinking about you know, what area based on a really good assessment, right? That's another thing. You have to have an outstanding, a really good assessment. And that's partly a science and partly an art. So you really get intake and assessment. And then you start to learn where you need to focus on, because, you know, in a sense, there might be a little bit of all of those things going on, stress, toxins, right? But so with time, you start to learn to where to focus. Now, with, in the absence of that, okay, in the absence of that, a really good overall panel would probably be, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention proprietary labs, but there's a one called the NutriEval. It's basically an overall, a very large overall nutritional panel that looks at many different biomarkers. It looks at biomarkers related to your nutritional status. Uh, it looks at it from both a blood perspective, but it also looks at something called organic acids, which is another sort of biomarker of nutritional status, uh, looking at organic acids. Uh, It looks at a variety of different things, your amino acids. And so you have to be able to look at all of this, understand what's important because you can't treat everybody for every tiny little, you know, imbalance. It's just, yeah, you got to look at the the trends, right? You got to look at the big picture. So probably something like that, a large nutritional panel, if you haven't either gone through some kind of um, assessment process is probably where what you would do. Well, even things like emotional stress, wherever that may be coming from, from something, a situation in the workplace, uh, an unhealthy relationship, yeah. you know, even stress exacerbates our ability to simply do things like digest food. And so I think that's where your troubleshooting acronym, I think maybe you could just run through it one more yeah. time. I know you mentioned it briefly, but I think yeah. that really hits that like, the core ethos of how you're approaching the problem. Could you run us through that one more time and maybe just unpack it a little bit more? Because I just loved that. Yeah, cool. Great. Absolutely. Well, STAIN is the acronym and S basically stands for stress, right? And it could be any form of stress, but as you were mentioning, emotional stress. And so what about a stress that happened years in the past, a, tra- a trauma that, that's no longer acutely present? but it's deep inside the psyche. Would, would that fall into that bucket? I mean, it could. And there are other tools to kind of look at the timeline, right? There are other tools that we teach you about that looks at all of these things over a period of time. You can go as far back as birth. You know, you were a C-section yep. baby, right? Or the trauma yep. that you're... The reason living. I asked that, Sheila, is because like a lot of times autoimmune or cancers, it's like, it's like two years after a lot of the times, you know, like with cancer, it, it happens years after an event, you know what I mean? And, and people don't intuitively oh, yeah. link the two, especially with autoimmune. And so that's why I guess that would that fit into the stress category. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So there's the acute, acute stress, which is like, I'm in a really crappy situation and I'm not <laughs> sleeping well, I'm not digesting food. And then there's the event from the past. Sure. The also, chronic that stress, would be yep, part yep, of that, that first part of it. 
Cool. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point that you bring up. So then there's tea for toxins, but you know, it's not just like sort of the obvious overt toxins like cigarette smoke or secondhand smoke or even lead. You know, these things can come from anywhere. I mean, it could, it could come from your, you know, glass or mold or yeast and, you know, poor quality supplements. It could come from the byproducts of eating fried uh, carbohydrate. You know, it could be a number of things, that, you know, lipopolysaccharides from eating a high fatty diet. I mean, there could be a number of different toxins and it could be heavy metal toxicity as, as well, right? So uh, it could be all the different toxins that we're exposed to on a daily basis that we inhale, that we ingest. So, um, you know, suffice it to say, there's a long list there and a really good assessment. You know, we can kind of learn more about that. A for adverse food reaction. And we're not just talking about allergy, but also food sensitivity. And so, you know, and a clinician that's trained is going to have to know, you know, when it's time to run a panel like that. But there are times where, for a variety of different reasons, a patient just does not consent to running a food panel. So what do you do? You know, running a food sensitivity panel, what do you do for in a scenario like that? You know, that's where you kind of have to get a little resourceful and crafty and start thinking about, well, okay, here are the top foods that people might be having adverse reactions to. So, you know, you have to know how to deal with a variety of these scenarios because you can have your plan on paper and it can look perfect, but then you also have to deal with your client that needs to consent to these things, right? And there's- The real world things. reality of right. like, okay. And exactly. <laughs> and, and these things can add up. So, you know, that's why it's really important to kind of prioritize what's important or you can lose your, your patient, you know? So you've got these things and then you've got- a for adverse food reaction, which you just talked about, which could be both allergy or sensitivity-based. And there's a variety of panels that, that can help you determine that, right? So, and of course, obviously, we get into all of that, all of that multiple times uh, throughout the program. Then there's I for infection. And we know that that can be bacterial, that could be parasitic, that could be fungal, and we definitely know that can be viral, right? So that's an area that it's tricky because a lot of nutrition professionals are, you know, may not be sure clear if that's part of their sort of turf or scope practice, but it can be with the right training and with the right tools, the right labs, and um, knowing how to interpret these things, which of course is everything that is involved in IFNA training. Um, yeah, just to share an anecdote there, too, when I first started working with a functional doctor after years of struggling was just like, symptoms that were related to maladaptive stress, there was definitely infection in the microbiome, which showed up quite clearly on these tests. And we were able to treat those overgrown, highly toxic infections in the gut. And uh, then I retested several months later, and, and I had mm -hmm. a very successful outcome. And nice. so it was something in the in the gut that was just not picked up at all. So infection can come in many different ways, but I have some personal experience with that one. And I think there are good tests out there now as well that can help with those types of diagnostics as well. Well, I mean, you can have two people who come in with IBS type symptoms, okay? Not to be confused with IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, the autoimmune condition, but IBS, the sort of diagnosis of exclusion, the we're not sure what's wrong with you diagnosis, right? And you can have two people who come in and one person a response to just cleaning up the diet and, you know, a little bit more fiber, get them hydrated and off they go. And another person could have a full-blown infection and you have to know how to do that, you know, that differential. You're going to have to know how to figure, you know, these kinds of things out if you want to help the patient, because sometimes it really just is as simple as cleaning up the diet. 
and the yep. IBS clears up. And then other times it's not even close to being that, that simple. And so it can get a little tricky, but you know, with time, with time, uh, which is why, you know, you can't, you know, these, you know, weekend courses are a great little dip, but you know, you really have to really have to dive in and get full training. And then we have um, N, N for nutritional deficiency or imbalance, but that could be due to a lot of different reasons. I mean, obviously the most obvious reason would be you're just simply not getting it because if you're a poor diet as or a standard American diet, right? But there can be... Access to healthy food, even if you want to eat healthy. First of all, can I even find it within my geographical area? Then B, can I afford it? You know, so you got to <laughs> cross those yeah. barriers first. Yeah, it's totally true. But then also, you know, what compounds the problem is the drug-induced nutrient depletion. So, you know, you have a lot of people who are not well and on multiple medications, and these medications are causing, you know, nutrient depletion. Nutritional deficiencies, That's yep. right. And, and the ones that are, the, I'd say, the more susceptible nutrients at risk, you know, are it's definitely magnesium and CoQ10, two of which are, my gosh, magnesium. I mean, it's involved in a couple hundred different functions. I mean, magnesium deficiency alone you know, can present so many different ways and have so many implications. So if your diet is poor, right, and now you've got what, you know, we've got some drug mugging going on here, right, drug-induced nutrient depletion, I mean, this could be a problem. Now, now layer on top of that, the fact that we all, every single human being has genetic variants, genetic, what we, you know, SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms, which is a fancy way of saying genetic variations that make yep. us who we are, you know, unique individuals that can, in some cases, cause you to be at even higher risk for a particular nutrient. And we know, Dave, that nutrients drive detoxification. So diet, detox, drug muggers, all of these things, if you're having, if your diet is poor, you're on medication. So now you've got drug nutrient induced depletions and you've got, you know, various SNPs or variants or let's just say important enzymes involved in hormone detox. Methylation. Methylation. Exactly. I mean, you know, myself, I kind of learned some of this the hard way uh, when it comes to some of the genetic issues you know, you can really snowball. And in the end, you know, it could, it could get really bad. It can get really ugly. And so a, a good practitioner needs to know how to first, you know, separate some of this out and parse it out and then know where to start without freaking your patient out. And, and also overwhelming yourself and causing, you know, burnout, right? So, yeah, because you're, you're in the round with them for a couple of hours sometimes. And so, you know, you have to learn how to manage that. I love that. I love the acronym. I love the framework that it provides. I hope that just explaining it the way you did, the stress, uh, the toxins, the um, adverse food reactions, infections, and nutritional imbalance. And like, I hope that just gives people who are listening a perspective on how you can start to address these types of issues, some of the ways you need to compartmentalize the way you're approaching a problem. I think it lends itself to the complexity of doing this and why you need specific expertise and how it can be so incredibly helpful for people when in many cases it doesn't have to be big changes that are made on the half of an individual just to fix some things like basic methylation issues and uh, magnesium deficiency, like some simple things that can be manifesting 
as mental health disorder or other types of simple things like that. So I think that really kind of brings it all home, just that acronym, how to think about it from that nice. perspective, and then yeah. also the foundation for how you're training experts out there to go out there and do the detective work and provide this much needed level of care in a society where nutritional education is grossly underrepresented sure. and, and the consequences of that are, are right in front of our eyes. And, no. and there's lots of reasons why that doesn't change, you know, policy and, and all kinds of stuff I don't want to get into here. But um, that was really helpful to give awesome. an overview of the landscape. I want to mention, though, that something that's really important is that it's one thing to do an initial consult, get the ball rolling, get the conversation started. But one of the things that I had in my practice before all this got digitized is, you know, records, records where we, we were able to look at before, during, after, and something that helped me create a clinical picture so that I can step back and look at trends and understand what was going on over time. If I really want to be effective, I really have to stay organized and find the tools, use the tools to help keep track of these things. Because, you know, you asked a really important question in the end, in the beginning, and I want to circle back to that. And that is, you know, or you mentioned that, you know, this is not a, a lot of what we do is not part of our, the reimbursement model. But one of the things that insurance companies are very concerned with is outcomes, mm -hmm. right? It's outcomes. If you can demonstrate through really good tracking, positive outcomes, policy could slowly change over time. You know, so I think it's really important that practitioners know that tracking, you know, data, whether it's you or an assistant or somebody, this has to be done. It's part of yep. the work. And if you don't, things are going to slip through the cracks. It's just not going to be effective. So I think it all goes together, you know, so I, I just really wanted to mention that. Hence the partnership between the IFN Academy and Heads Up, where we can uh, help with the thing. tracking and and also help measure the outcomes. That's where the rubber meets the road, and that's what's going to help us move the needle. when we can just show how well this can work when properly applied and measured. So anyhow, oh, this has been incredible, Sheila. For those who are looking, they're listening and they're interested in the academy. And then also if you're a practice and you're looking to hire someone with this domain of expertise, yep. where should we direct our listeners, Sheila? Well, on the website, ifnacademy.com, there is a graduate directory right there, open access. And anyone who's on there has consented to being on there and can be reached. So I love it. Yep. I would say 99% of our graduates are on there. There may be a couple of people that didn't really choose to be on there, but the majority of them are there. And yeah, and so there are well, about 10% of IFNA graduates are international. So just take a look uh, on the graduate directory on the ifnacademy.com website. Thank you for your contributions to society oh, through the work that you do. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for this time with you today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for those great questions. Really on point. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Sheila. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 